knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear. Every knee, every tongue, from the ends of the earth, from the beginning to the end of time, every person that has ever lived will surrender to God. God bless you, you may be seated. This provocative statement about every knee bowing and every tongue swearing, Old Testament will refer to the New Testament version in a few moments, which is confessing. It's fascinating, but it leaves us with questions, doesn't it? In fact, some things we learn from the Bible, we end up with more questions than we do answers because God always wants us to be searching and seeking after him. And so the Apostle Paul uh, broadened the scope of Isaiah's prophetic word in his letter to the Philippians because many of the things that were concealed in the Old Testament are revealed, are unfolded to us in the New. So in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, <clears throat> he says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Of course, we're speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, see, Isaiah didn't see all of this, but Paul did, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth. And yes, there is a place under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will presumably take place at the white throne judgment, which is written about in Revelation 20 and 12, where John said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, this is what makes salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ so eternally important because when you were born of water and of the Spirit, that means that at that time when you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ took your punishment away from you. Now, that punishment had to go somewhere. It did not just vanish. And it was laid upon him on the cross. So when every unsaved person that has ever lived stands before God at the white throne judgment, that person, man or woman, will bow in complete surrender to Jesus Christ, and they will profess 
that he is the Lord, the Lord, not a Lord, not one of the Lords. He's not number two Lord. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us today. It is not a complex word that he is speaking. It's not complicated. It doesn't take great intellect to receive, to hear, and understand what he's saying. But it's unmistakably one simple word, and the word is surrender. I think we have a handle on what the word surrender means, at least from an academic standpoint, at least from the standpoint of education and knowing the language and, and the nuances of the English language. I think we have some kind of a uh, working understanding of what, of what surrender is. Nevertheless, I was driven to John chapter 13. I could have told the story, but in my effort to do so, I realized that there are things that would be left out of my account. So I'm going to read it to you from the Word of God. <clears throat> now, therefore, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world under the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being Ended the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. I want you to... Get the picture because right now the disciples are going, what's going on here? What's happening here? What is he, what is he doing? This is uncharacteristic of, of our Lord. And they were all in a state of wonder as they watched him gird himself with a towel. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Really? You're going to wash my feet? You see, that's the emphasis here. Really? You're going to wash my feet? You, the Lord of glory? Or the Messiah? You're going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Sorry, Peter, just your feet today. Jesus saith unto him, they did, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. By John's account, 
of the events that occurred in the upper room at what we refer to as the Last Supper, we can say assuredly that Jesus washed all the disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas Iscariot. But while Peter felt that he was unworthy of his Lord, Judas sat there and never said a word. Judas was perfectly fine. He was he was okay. Just go ahead. You know, have your just go ahead, Lord, wash my feet all you want to. Did not bother him a bit. He never flinched at all. So based on outward appearances, Judas in that moment was completely surrendered to the will of Jesus Christ. I want you to hang on that now. I want you to get a hold of this. In that moment, in that room, for his divine purpose and will, Judas was completely and totally and utterly surrendered and submitted unto Jesus Christ as he knelt down before Judas and washed his feet. Although Judas complied with the ceremonial washing Although he complied in the moment, Judas was anything but surrendered to God's will. He was anything but surrendered to God's purpose or to his authority. I'm going to speak frankly for a few minutes, and honestly, I have struggled with this. First of all, I want to preface my comment by uh, Our altars are open to anyone, anyone. Everyone is welcome here to receive whatever Jesus Christ has purchased for you with his blood. No one is turned away. We didn't check your temperature when you walked in the door. We didn't require you to put on a mask. Everyone is welcome. We have prepared for you. The waters in our baptistry is a comfortable 80-some degrees. We have robes in the back. You don't even need to get your clothes wet. Sorry about your head. Going to get wet. Everything has been prepared for you to repent in our altar. For you to confess your sins before God. For you to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of those sins. And for you to receive the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, that is the predominant reason that our doors are open and that we are here today. However, however, the Lord revealed to me a couple weeks ago, and it was, it was like a knife in my heart when he did so. What he said to me is that there are people that will come in among you, and they will drink from your cistern, but they want nothing to do with your message. There are those who will eat at your table. But they will not submit to your God. See, submission to God and to apostolic authority can only occur when you're completely surrendered to God. Anybody, anywhere in this world that is not in submission to apostolic authority is not 
submitted to God. I don't care what they say. They're not submitted to God because you can't submit to God until you submit to apostolic authority. So it's getting kind of quiet in here. Yeah, I knew it would. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke of false prophets and what he said. He said, you will know them by their fruits, not by their actions, not by their words, not by their profession. You will know them by their fruits. He also said in, in verse 21 and 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So this does not obviously use the word surrender, but it means the same thing. You can call him Lord till the cows come home. You can be out in the pasture saying, Lord, and the cow says, did you call me? No, I'm calling on the Lord. It doesn't matter what you call him. What matters is if you do his will, if you submit and surrender to his will. A lot of people want the benefits, but they don't want the obligation. A friend of mine a number of years ago said, why don't you come and join our, our softball team? It's uh, over 50. I said, look, if I can't come to every practice and every game, I'm not going to come and, because they deserve better than that. And I know I can't make every practice and, and, and every game. See, some people, are just, just, I just want the benefits of the cross. I want the benefits of the blood. I want the benefits of intercessory prayer. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? Oh, yes, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This will occur, ladies and gentlemen, at the white throne judgment to multitudes of people. Who by the terms of some religious system thought they were surrendered to God and God looks at the heart and says no so according to God there will be a number of people who will be mistaken and a lot of these people prophesied in his name prophesied doesn't say it was false prophecy they prophesied in his name. They cast out devils, of course, through the name of Jesus Christ. They did many wonderful works. The, the um, uh, implication here is they were miraculous works. And yet he's going to say, I never knew you. Why? Because you were never surrendered to me or my word or my will. So what I want to say to you now is that um, the entire will of God for a New Testament believer is not wrapped up tidily in Acts 2.38. The entire will of God for a New Testament believer is not contained in that one short verse of Scripture. 
That's the entrance into the kingdom of God. But there are, there are gospels and there are epistles that reveal the will of God for a New Testament believer. But there's a lot of people. I've been baptized. I've been dunked. I got my certificate. I speak in tongues. And you think that's all you need to do. I mean, come on. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He prayed for three hours before he completely and totally surrendered to the cross. Okay, not my will. Thy will be one of my prayers is, God, do not let me have my way. Surrender. How many people here, when you're going on a website and you see that agreement box, you check the box, and you don't read what the agreement is? I've tried reading it. Fifteen pages later, going, yeah, 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 I'm hypnotized. So we check the box. You won't admit it. You all do it. Click. And we have no idea what we just agreed to. But a lot of people do that with God. They do the same thing with God. Let's just take people that are baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Says that you agree with everything I'm going to ask of you? Yeah. You would, you're going to live by, by my word? Yeah. You're going to follow my teaching and the authority and teaching of the apostles? Check. And you've never read it. You've never considered. You have no idea what you just agreed to. And yet the Bible says the books are going to be open. What are those books? It's not the encyclopedia. It's the word of God. We're going to be judged out of the word of God. I checked the box. I better know what I just agreed to because I'm going to be judged by that. And you will need a lawyer to explain all the legal ease and legal speak in these agreements that we check the boxes off. And you're going to need a preacher. You're going to need the elders to explain what those things are in God's agreement as well. So I'll just read it and figure it out for myself. Good luck, because God designed it to work the other way. First Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I want to know how to behave myself. You know, we've been on a number of cruises, and we've never been turned away from a cruise ship, but I can't imagine anticipating the departure day, and you get your luggage packed, you get on the bus, you go all the way to Port of Miami or Port of Everglades, and you walk up there, and they got your luggage all packed. All of a sudden, you get to the port, the gate, and they say, well, you can't come. You, you forgot something. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You can't. That, that's just a cruise. It, it'd break our heart. But to miss God that way? They get right up to the gate and say, hey, you missed something. What did I miss? It was in the fine print. Didn't you read the agreement? A lot of people, unfortunately, they're going to be surprised the moment they depart from this world. If you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, and I'm going to speak frankly now. I mean, you can beat up on me later. It's okay. I don't mess with Facebook much. You can go criticize me on Facebook and 
it won't hurt my feelings because I won't see it anyway. I'm telling the truth now. A lot of people come in here and they've been baptized three ways from Sunday, but not in Jesus' name. And you can, you can preach with a red face. You can prophesy. There's going to be God's power in this place. You've got to get baptized in Jesus' name because if it's not in his name, your sins are not remitted. And people invariably get up and walk out the door. And maybe you're going to do the same thing. I don't know. All I know is Apollos walked around and he was baptizing in repentance. Amen. And he learned that from a prophet of God. And Jesus said, the greatest prophet that's ever lived. And yet when Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, son, we want to talk to you about something. He said, oh, my gosh, give me the rest of the story. So if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, then you ought to be baptized today. And you ought to do it without hesitation. If, if you have not received the Holy Ghost, say, well, I've prayed and I've sought the Holy Ghost. Well, seek it again. Pray for it again. Wear yourself out. The man that, one of the men that won us to God uh, was kind of like me. He was resistant to the Holy Ghost. I was resistant. I, I, I thought God had to knock me down to fill me with the Holy Ghost. And so it took me a while to get the Holy Ghost. But he told the story how he was running run around the church one one Sunday night, he was so hungry for the Holy Ghost, and he was just trying to do whatever he can to get the Holy Ghost. And, and that was a church full of aisle runners. He's running around, running around. He said he wore himself out. He fell down on the pew. His hand was on the back of the pew, and his finger was just going like this. And in complete exhaustion, boom, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. What am I talking about? I'm talking about surrender. Surrender. But if you have obeyed Acts 2.38, baptized in Jesus' name, you've got the Holy Ghost, bless, bless you for that. Uh, then you still need to be faithful to a local church. You need to support that church with your tithes and offerings and with your attendance and service. And you need to be under authority of a pastor and elders. That's God's word. Because well, I hear from God. I don't need that. Okay. All right. Go ahead and do it your way. You check the agreement box, not me. Because I'm talking about surrender. What John wrote in his first epistle is quite timely. First John 2, 18 and 19, little children, it is the first time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. I mean, it's almost like he wrote that for us. And so as the world anticipates the revealing of the Antichrist, the, the Antichrist, John said, would come. We know he's going to be in the world. What occurred in the early church is occurring right now in the apostolic church, apostolic community and apostolic churches. You say, what is that? Well, it's verse 19. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Why do you think that, that uh, Jesus said to John, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor, to the church at Ephesus write, 
What's that written to? All of the believers in the Ephesus church. All the people that were committed and faithful to the Ephesus church. To the church at Thyatira, right. It's to all the people that are faithful and committed in the church at Thyatira. If you're not committed to a church, there's no word that's written for you. If you're a drifter or a wanderer and you go from here to there and you're not settled anywhere and you're not under authority to anybody, there's no letter addressed to you. Yeah, it is. Because surrender is the voice of the Spirit that he's speaking in our midst. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. It's not just talking. It's not mumbling. It's not muttering. No, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Second Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come. No, the time is here. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. When I was preparing this, uh, uh, I feel like the Holy Ghost spoke something to me, and I think that he wants me to share it with you now. And what I heard was this. Many will court a calling from God, but they will never marry it. You know, I've always wondered when you see this couple, well, we've been dating for seven years. You've been what? I was hogtied in the first six months. I mean, I was married in the first six months. I know her family was city, city fellows, but I feel like the first time I met them, they got their lassos out. yippee yay! <laughs> yeah, amen. I feel like the Lord said that there are People that are flirting with a calling, just like they flirt with a romantic suitor. But they will never commit to it, and they will never surrender to it. When you completely surrender to anything or to anybody, it is life-altering. The total surrender to God is different because that has eternal implications. But it's important that we understand what total surrender is. First of all, surrender is a verb. It's something that you do, not once, not twice, not five times. It's something that you do. It's, it's something that you live. It is an action word. That's what a verb is. It means to cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. 
authority. Why do you think they killed the prophets? Can't reach God. You're going down, Isaiah. You know, history says they sawed him in half. So go ahead and get on Facebook. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never reach me because I ain't reading it anyway. It's easy to surrender to God at an altar. We do it every Sunday where the musicians come. I'm not really understanding that. Where the musicians come, worshiping, song is playing. Final comments by the preacher. Altar is open. We come and surrender to God in the moment. We surrender to the presence of God. We surrender to what we're feeling right now in this moment. Then we get up and walk right out that door, uncommitted, unfaithful, unsurrendered. Oh, we surrender here, but here is not what counts. It's what we do out there. Week after week after week after week. Because it's easy to surrender to God when you're in his presence. Just like Judas said, yep, go ahead. Lord, wash my feet. So since it's been brought up, I surrendered to Kathy Fraser 48 years ago. And trust me, the easiest part of that was when I went to Kmart and bought my blue sport coat, wore it to the wedding, and repeated whatever the preacher told me to say. <laughs> what did he tell you? See, that's just it. I don't remember. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? But yet it won't be funny when we do that with God. And we don't even know what we committed to. We know how to say all the right things. And it's easy to do that. But Jesus said in Luke 6:46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, I don't know everything you say. That's because you're not here. It's because you're not here. How can you? So I read my Bible. I read mine too. But I still go in here preaching, and it puts me under conviction because I don't get everything from my Bible reading and Bible study. And got a little stronger in Matthew 15 and 7. It says, You hypocrites. You know the thing that I fear most? Hypocrisy. I fear the danger of becoming a personal hypocrite. That scares the daylights out of me. That I will look at others and judge them for things that I do. I will preach against things that I do myself. That scares the daylight out of me. And Jesus looked at these people. They weren't happy about it. Trust me. Because they felt like they were the religious elite of their day. He said, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart 
that. There you go. Their heart is far from me. It's important that we understand what surrender is. We talked about Judas who surrendered to Christ washing his feet, but what did he do right after that? He went out and betrayed Christ. Do you realize that he was in the literal, physical presence of Jesus Christ when the devil entered into him? Go read it. Jesus had just touched him, washed his feet, ministered. Are you kidding me? You've got to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to be on top of this thing. You've got to walk close to God in the kind of world that we live in. So a child may surrender to mom. I'm familiar to that. Actually, it was mostly dad. Mom let him get away with murder. But uh, as soon as... Dad turns his back. We're back to the same old shenanigans. One of the best ways that I know to illustrate this is in Romans chapter 2, where it says, For circumcision, uh, 25, by the way, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. And it's not going to sound like it doesn't relate, but it will when it's over. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. That's pretty powerful. Therefore, if the circumcision keep or the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and, and circumcision do transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. So all of this is saying that a man may submit to the law of, uh, concerning circumcision, and that may grant him certain ceremonial and Judaical privileges. You understand that, right? But Paul said that the man that God recognizes as a Jew is he who is a Jew inwardly. You realize if you've been born again, water and spirit, Jesus name baptism, Holy Ghost, you are a spiritual Jew. You're of the seed of Abraham. You're a son of God. So he recognizes a person is a Jew who is a Jew inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart and of the spirit and not in just the compliance to the letter or the compliance to the ceremonial aspect of the law. In other words, to be truly Jewish in the sight of God, a man must not just submit to being circumcised, but he must completely surrender to Jewish ethics, morals, traditions, ceremonies, practices, and ordinances. And this should apply 
the apostolics as well. I'm not apostolic because I obeyed Acts 2.38. I'm apostolic because I live according to apostolic doctrine and apostolic teaching concerning not just how to get saved, but how to act once you are saved, how to live once you are saved. And to obey is better than sacrifice. I'll pray four hours a day. I don't need to be committed to a local church. Uh-uh. You can't sacrifice enough to disannul the word of God. And I think that's why a lot of marriages fail. It's a marriage advice for some. Marriage advice. No names mentioned. Marriage advice. Because a relationship, a marriage is a relationship, by the way. You cannot survive or thrive without or with the contract alone. So when you get in a little spat, don't go reach for the marriage certificate. It's not going to help you. I got this, bless God. The contract's not going to help you when you're in a dispute or when you have struggles and problems in life. But if you want to enjoy marriage, if you want to be completely fulfilled in marriage, the man and the woman have to equally and completely surrender to one another. The Bible tells us how to do that, but we don't, we're not going to go into that. When you're completely surrendered to one another, you'll make it just fine, and you'll be happy in the journey. What about a beautiful service, a beautiful wedding? No, I should say a beautiful, expensive wedding. What about a, a large, expensive reception? What about a lavish honeymoon? Not going to help you. It's not going to do you any good. But daddy spent $50,000 on the wedding. It's not going to help you. But we went to Barbados on our honeymoon. It's not going to help you. I'm telling you, if you're not surrendered in the marriage, nothing else is going to do. And it's the same way with God. I don't care. I don't care what we do if we're not surrendered to God. All my crocodile tears, all my crying, all my screaming, all my praying. God said, look, I'm really, all you've got to do is surrender. My God, my God, my God. So I'll finish with this. Um, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's Luke 24, 47. He said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The gospel's the good news. There's bad news, plenty of bad news, but the gospel is the good news. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells you what the gospel is. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm cutting some things now. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus died. And he was buried. He didn't stay buried. He didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day. That's the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news. Now, what about hell? You know, I've heard it through the years. We don't preach enough on hell. You don't hear no preaching no more. Bless God on hell. You know why? Because hell's not the Great Commission. That's the bad news. 
It's going to come up once in a while when the Spirit of God moves on us, but it's not what we have been commissioned to preach. I've got some scriptures here. I, I, can, I can read them, but I'm not going to because I'm, I'm, I want to reach the end of this message by 1 o'clock. By 1240. Let's, let's put you at ease. <laughs> by 1231. <laughs> Was that in the Holy Ghost, brother? Look, I'm guilty. I thoroughly prepare. I'm sorry. I, I'm just thoroughly prepared, sometimes over-prepared. But, I mean, preaching the Word of God is a great responsibility. And uh, I've never, never taken it lightly. I mean, hell's a bad place. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's called outer darkness. And I, can, I cannot even, nor do I even want to, Imagine the horror of, of passing from this life and being hurled into that horrible and ungodly place where uh, there is endless and unspeakable torment. But the message of hell is not the message that we have been sent to preach. We've been sent to tell the good news. Say, well, maybe you told more people about hell, they, they would... Uh, they'd be more apt to serve God. You see, that's the problem. That's our way of doing things. But God says, I am not going to dangle people over the flames of hell just to convince them they need to serve me. It's not God's way. And so the marriage supper of the Lamb is not going to be a shotgun wedding. God's church does not consist of a bunch of miserable people that are just trudging through life just to escape the flames of hell and the judgment of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The hope and the glory of heaven is our strength. We shout not because we're not going to hell, but because we're going to heaven. you got to get this thing turned on right. We don't shout because of what we would have been if we hadn't served God. We shout because of what we are because of His grace and mercy. So the kingdom of God is full of people. You give them a choice. You give them a choice to walk away from all of this and have all the world will take hell out of the equation. 99% of us would say, uh-uh, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Because you know what I found out? Nothing in this life is worth anything without him. Nothing. So, if I get the chance, I'll bow down today and I will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not going to wait until he resurrects me in the future and I stand before the white throne of judgment.
John saw the bride of Christ who was arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. That's not the way we came to God. Some of you that were raised in church, bless you. You've never tasted alcohol. You've, you've never tasted nicotine. You've, you've never tasted drugs. You've never, you've never tasted the foul flavor of profanity as it, as it rolls around in your mouth and is spewed out of your mouth. Bless your heart. You are a blessing to the kingdom of God. But some of us came out of hell to get here. Some of us walked, walked out of sin to get here. Some of us walked out of addiction to get here. Some of us came out of a horrible thing to get here. Stay standing. Worship team, join me. So why do you all worship the way you do? Because you don't know what he saved me from. You don't know what he saved us from. Bride is arrayed in fine linen, not the filth of this world. God saved me. He didn't save a Judas. He didn't save a Judas. When God says jump, I say how high and when can I come back down? If it's in his word, I want to do it. If I don't see it and it's there and I need to do it, would somebody please take me aside, set me down, said, Bishop, you need to read this. This is in the agreement box that you check. You need to know what this says. We don't go to God in prayer and say, well, God, you're lucky I showed up today. Well, aren't you blessed, God? I decided to pray today. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Lord, I'm doing the best I can to live for you, but God, if I miss anything, come on right now with your blood. I want you to wash me with your blood. If there be any thoughts that I entertain, I want you to wash those thoughts out of my mind. If anything came out of my mouth that was offensive to you or anybody else, I want you to cleanse me, forgive me, wash me. Why? Because I want to be in your presence. So it's time to talk about our negotiations with God. All negotiations with God must take place at the foot of the cross. You bargaining with God driving down the road and and you reconcile your life in your mind, that's not going to do it. You talk to friends and family and cohorts that agree with you, and you're going you're gonna to try and justify and reconcile your life of unfaithfulness, and, and they're going to pat you on the back and tell you, all right, we're going to heaven. I still talk in tongues once in a while. Go ahead. It's not going to do it. The only place where you can truly negotiate the terms of your surrender is at the cross. No other place, folks, no other place will do. Why the cross? Because the cross makes us feel very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. 
You say, well, in a negotiation, you got to bring something to the table. I don't have much to bring to the table. Well, here, here's the way this works. You bring your worst to the table, and he brings his best. I do it every morning. I bring my failures and my worst and my carnality and my fears and unbelief and everything that consorts together in my flesh and my human will. And God always shows up with his best. He's never looked at me and said, not today, Bruce, not today. No, not today, uh-uh. Gonna let that slide today. No. My God. My God. Why the cross? Because the cross is a place of neutrality. It's a place that is neutral. You see, at the cross, you are broken by sin and by a lifestyle of unbelief. But he's broken also because of your sin. You're broken now, and he's broken, and together. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. My God. The only way... You can truly surrender to God is at the cross. At the cross. And when you look at the Lamb of God that was slain, and now you realize what He died for. You committed your worst, but He did His best. I'd like to open the altar for anyone that would like to come and seek the Lord. Now, as you're coming, let me say, the cross is not just where you negotiate with God over a sinful life or over sinfulness. The cross is where you bring your burdens that you're carrying. The cross is where you bring the pain that's in your soul, in your spirit, that life has stricken you with. The cross is where you, you bring everything, everything that you're carrying, you bring to the cross. So we invite you today to make your way to the cross of Jesus Christ. Make your way to an altar and begin to lay down the things that are hindering. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender all to
Come on, pour your heart out to God right now. You're going to lay some things at the foot of the cross. You're not going to get up with them. You're not going to go home with them. You're going to give them to Jesus. Come on, God, these boys are yours. These boys are yours. I'm going to lay them at the cross right now. I'm going to keep praying for them, but they're yours, God. I, I can't carry it on my own. Come on, lay that problem down at the cross right now. Maybe it's filled you with unbelief. That's all right. At the cross, there's mercy.
Jesus, I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will. I will ever love and trust Him. contract with a company to install the sprinkler system in our building now for months. And we cannot get them now. They will not even return our calls. We pay them a large sum of money and they will not even return our calls, our texts, or our emails. They made a mistake when they did in doing this. Because we are going to now begin to pray that every job they have will dry up. And there will only be one contract, one job. Say, do you believe God will do that? Oh, yes, I do. And so every day, you don't need to know the name of the company. God knows what you're talking about. Pray that every contract, every job, every permit they're trying to pull, everything will dry up until the only job they have to keep their men working is right here. And you watch what God's going to do. You watch what God is going to do. Will you pray with me? Every day now. Come on, every day. Every day. And then after this job is done, God, you can open the windows of heaven. And pour them out more work than they can handle. And I'm going to tell you something. God is going to do this. It's going to be a quick work. They mess, they mess with God's people. They're monkeying with the people of God. And we're going to see God move. You believe with me? All right. God bless you.